Welcome to Titanic Reaction. I'm Tony Mangus. Be aware, these are real stories. Well, most of them are. They will contain tales of alcohol, drugs, sex, extreme violence, and language Mary Whitehouse would not approve of. Take caution when listening. Well, I, I do, I have my ritual. I've got a bubble water. I lit a candle and uh, I'm ready to do this. <laughs> All right, fuck it. Let's go. Let's go. Check this out. <laughs> and that was David and I'm Tony Mingus and this is Titanic Reaction. Boom! And I first met David. When you're on a punk tour, every day cannot be a Friday. The first time I met him was either a Monday or Tuesday night at the Black Cat in Austin, Texas. <laughs> yes! Wow! Do you remember That's, that? Yes, dude. Oh my God. I, that just slapped me. I forgot all about that. Now, um, I would like to say that we probably made that a, uh, a good night, though. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the best Mondays or Tuesdays I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, so introduce yourself and tell us what bands okay. you've been in. Uh, my name's David Rodriguez or uh, David Tejas. I started playing in Crumbums and then um, I ventured into a, starting a band called Starving Wolves. And then um, I joined some of my best friends in the casualties. So right now um, I'm doing casualties and starving wolves and a little bit of crumb bumps here and there. Oh, you guys are still doing stuff. Awesome. We, we do a little, we do a little, we, we have a lot of want to do more, but life and um, responsibilities have, have caught, have caught up to these old punkers. <laughs> Yes, definitely. Let me introduce you like you're a Premier League fullback. This yeah. David Rodriguez. Yes, <laughs> Rodriguez. <laughs> I'm a halfback fullback. <laughs> okay, we'll play some songs. We're going to do Crumbones SOS. You want to tell us about it? Well, you know, um, SOS was, I think, maybe like our, our third release. And it was... Um, kind of the, the, the point, the, uh, a changing point in the band where we started getting an idea of what was going on in life and that we could kind of do whatever we want. And, and, that, and that's like music industry bullshit stuff. You're always taught you have to do it this way or that way. And, and this is where we started getting a grasp, but also where we started learning that like, life is not always fun in games and we're dealing with a lot of death and a lot of um, addiction a lot of internal good and bad issues that we weren't used to you know dealing with and this song kind of i feel like really um grabs that that idea of that you know in life there's a lot of good but it's shrouded with a lot of bad. So this is kind of, I, I think it has a real crumbum vibe to it.
So where are you from? I am from the great state of Texas and uh, <laughs> the biggest little city in the world, Austin, Texas. And um, if your listeners, viewers, everything do not know this, but people in Texas, we feel like we're in our own country and we're going to tell you we're from Texas continuously. <laughs> So yeah, I'm from I'm from Austin, Texas, uh, which is sister, brother, gender neutral cities of Portland. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, I was born and raised here. What do you love about it, man? I've been I've been so fucking lucky to travel all over the world, and um, a lot of the things that I hated about Austin. I love now. Um, it is extremely small. It's a very small city. Um, and, you know, I felt trapped when I was younger by that. And as I got older, I fucking love it because, you know, everything I want or need is not very far, which makes it a very relaxed home for me. But also there's a lot of um, when you when you hear long enough, a lot of secret society life in a way. Like <laughs> this bar is where these guys are. This bar is it, like any city, but you know, it's just a it's a very tight knit um, community, and, and I could also see why that might be a little discomforting to um, to newcomers here. But it, it's a great city, and one of the best things for me is that, you know, I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I'm as I'm aging, everybody around me um, that that really loves this city like I do, starts to do their part. Meaning, um, there there was the black cat. So people from the black cat way back when. Now, you know, they DJ at, at the small um, bar called The Lost Well. And, and these people are just, they're the bricks that really make this kind of punk rock community. And before we were all, you know, young onlookers. And now we're starting to be the foundation uh, of, this, of this city. And it's, it's really fucking cool. And it has a history, you know, there's, there's a lot of old punk, uh, old like country. Uh, I know this sounds so lame, but like that outlaw country style shit where, I mean, they were, I, uh, this is when you know you're getting old too, when you start saying, yeah, but it's punky, but you know, like kind of, <laughs> kind of punky western country bars we have a little bar called the little longhorn and uh it's just like punk cowboys that that are there and, and it's cool I, I like it what good band that i guess you could do all of texas but what good bands have been from there over the years well uh, like the big boys and the dicks uh are and you know i think um Every area, it, it, as punk gets bigger, they have every city kind of has their, or every uh, scene has their day. So it used to be 
DC, New York, LA, and San Francisco. And now there's becoming a focus on um, Texas. Like there's a book that just came out uh, called Texas is the Reason. I haven't even had a chance to really get into it yet. Um, but there's a lot of punk here in, in Austin. And so, you know, the big boys and the dicks and those dudes were fucking against the grain, you know, bisexual, gay, in in a time when that was unheard of, you know? And and we also call Austin like, uh, or I call it, um, the island in a sea of shit. So you have a very conservative- I didn't want to say that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, everybody has a little nickname for it, right? So it's like you're in, in Texas is so fucking big that, yeah. you know, you're driving from the West coast down to Austin, you're going through El Paso and you're still like eight or nine hours away from Austin. So you're going through this very uh, conservative area and you get to Austin, you know, and, and that's where I think ideas just started booming and people felt trapped and so they came to Austin or, or just being from here, they said, we're going to do whatever the fuck we want. And, and I think that that's, that's something also that I'm going back into, you know, is, is looking at some of that. And then um, when I was, when I was uh, younger, there were great bands like the Fuck Emos, uh, the Motards, um, a band called Anti-Man. Um, and, and of course the lower class brats are from yes. here. So, you know, and, and it was just, it's just a cool place and a cool history that I, that I love. And I love that historical everything, but I really love rock and roll history. The first time I went to Texas, it was like the early nineties. I expected, well, I expected the worst. And yeah. I and I ended up. Austin has always been great. Yeah, and, and, and you know that's the same. That's the same feel that that most people have, and as they should. There's there's a lot of craziness that went went on here, and and it and it goes both ways. There was this kind of um, you know, not to be redundant with the word outlaw, but with outlaw, you have both good and bad. You know, mm-hmm. you have these revolutionary people with revolutionary ideas, and then you have also people that just want to keep shit the same, regardless of who gets hurt. So Texas has a is a mysterious place. What was it like? What was it like in Austin when you first got into punk? What was the city like? So um, I got. I got really, really lucky. Um, both of my parents worked like extreme wild hours and my dad worked at the university and there's a, um, you know, there's always that street next to the university where all the shops are and cool shit. And so I remember I, you know, at a young age, my dad would give me a couple of bucks and let me walk down the street, which is called the drag. 
And so, you know, back then three bucks would last you a long time. I could get like two <laughs> egg rolls and fucking lemonade and shit. And, you know, all day long, I'd just walk up and down the street and I would see flyers. Like this was back when it was okay to put flyers up. Telephone poles, it would just be rows upon rows of flyers all over. And I would just go around looking at this. And I was too young to understand, you know, like 12. I didn't really know what it was, but I knew that it was, it was kind of scary. That's, that's how I perceived <laughs> punk when I was, when I was young, you know, like, oh my God, what is this? And um, there was a record store on the corner of the drag um, called Sound Exchange. And it was, when I first started going in there, it was little, little tiny, and the lights were very dim and there was like misfits and Sam Hain posts. Those are the ones that I remember the most because I was like, Oh my God, like, what is this monster? And, you know, I can remember like when dancing first came out and there was like werewolf heads and shit. And I was like, oh, what is this? I was kind of witnessing art of punk, but I didn't, know any music really yet and uh I, I met this this guy moved in next door to me and um he was into punk you know he had like a mohawk and doc martens and a flight jacket and we started talking and, and i was into like normal shit you know like um metallica and iron maiden and shit and um i was i was also way into like early hip hop and, and, and rap, which was real political back then. So I meet this guy and I think, you know, very typical, he introduced me kind of the sex pistols and, and I liked it, but it didn't really punch me. And then he played the exploited for me. And I was like, Oh, this is scary. And this is fucking this. What's this guy screaming about? <laughs> and then, I Which started, one did he play for you first? Uh, I mean, like, let's start a war, you okay, know? Yeah. But, but, you know, I also feel like real early, <laughs> real early I heard Fuck the USA because I think he was trying to play for me just anything that was, that would flip my lid, dude, you know? And, yeah. and I was going, oh, this is, because see, I grew up in this neighborhood that was very mixed. And so it was a lot of rap. And I can remember listening to NWA and, 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 and even like Two Live Crew, like all of this shit that was raw, you know, Easy yeah. e uh, you know, everything was just fuck this and fuck that, kill this motherfucker. And, and, and I could kind of understand what, what, what they were talking about. So then when he played me this, coming from like, this fucking English or, you know, Scottish fucking dude. I was like, holy fuck. What are these white boys talking about? <laughs> you know? And, and it just, it grabbed me. And I was like, this is some fucked up shit. As I started to kind of understand what I was, then it was like, uh, I was, I think I was just telling Dave Martinez from clip 45 about this. Like all of a sudden I started walking down the drag and I went into that record store and it all translated and it made sense. I knew where that skull came from. I knew what that, you know, this mohawk and 
head was. But when I was young, I just, I still didn't, because I was probably 13, quite get it what was, what was going on, you know? And um, I don't know if I'm going too far back, but no. I just, um, I live just a little bit north in North Austin. So Austin started kind of growing and then it was very affordable, you know, like most cities to move out of the city center. And so we, everybody that was trying to get affordable housing was moving out. So there still was not a punk anything like, like, so I started getting into punk, like in like sixth grade or whatever. And there was zero punk rockers. I, I didn't know anybody. There was that, there was the one again, like stereotypical substitute teacher that was like <laughs> nice minor threat shirt wink wink and i was like <gasps> and i remember like i'll never forget because you know back then it was like i paid attention to anything doc martens and all that shit because i was like trying to decipher this code that was punk you know there's no internet yeah. and there was no punks around me and he had he had monkey boots and i was like <laughs> nice monkey boots you know I, anything i could say to like can we talk this language can we speak punk and uh, so I also got into like, um, you know, Jesus Lizard and, and Faith No More. And, you know, this is like, I don't know, 89 or something. And um, so I, I was grabbing onto anything that I could that I could find back then. And my parents weren't like, I mean, they're fucking cool now, but <laughs> they weren't cool back then, you know. Uh, and my brother was into rap. And so I didn't know anything at all. And, um, you know, from my neighbor, I just dug deep into his compilations, you know, his mixtapes. And he would make me mixtapes. And then when I hit high school and, you know, your hormones are busting like fucking wild. And I would, there was these girls that were into photography and smoking cloves and wearing the cure and, and uh joy division shirts and i was kind of older than i thought i am i know <laughs> <laughs> it's this little mexican dude. And, uh, and so you know me being kind of like this very young kid wearing like you know exploited or whatever t-shirt they kind of gravitated to like maybe save me, like come hang out with us and come walk around in a, you know, this abandoned zoo and take photos with us. So I was just grabbing on to anything that I could that was like that. So in some ways I feel very lucky because I have a lot of friends and, and you know, we just live differently. But for me, I feel very happy that I didn't get one style shoved down my throat. You know, I, I was able to really have a spectrum of, of music. So it was like, you know, I'm, I'm listening to the exploited and the misfits and, you know, back then, now we can say the typical shit, but for me, this was very atypical. 
to find, you know, like, wow, this music. And then, you know, um, of course, you know, I saw like Faith No More Epic on MTV or whatever, but then I dug kind of, I felt like these are weirdos. So I dug into that. And then I found, you know, early Faith No More with Chuck Mosley and then um, over into the Jesus Lizard and from the Jesus Lizard, you know, into Scratch Acid. And, you know, the Pixies weren't normal music back then too. So I was listening to all of this different kind of music. And so by around uh, sophomore year, I had met about four or five other punk rockers, you know? And um, we started putting together bands and shit. Like by this point, I'd already had like a little weirdo band with my one punk rocker friend and his brother. And uh, it was so cool, dude. When I think back on it, it was like, my mom was just cool enough because she worked so much that she was like, wanted me to be at least happy somewhat at home. And so she was like, y'all can practice in the garage. And so we had one amplifier um, and, I, and I think it was the, a gorilla amp. And instead of volume, <laughs> it said like growl, you know, like, Rrr. and we plugged a bass and a microphone into that amp. And we had a drum, like one snare. The kick drum was a, a Rubbermaid uh, trash can because it made that <laughs> boom, boom, boom. And we had a, uh, a big roasting pot for whatever was going to make the, clonk so it would be like pop boom clonk pop boom clonk but that's that's what got the fucking ball rolling and and i feel so fucking lucky because you had the ability to be a fucking complete moron and um have an imagination because we didn't know how to get this equipment or how it happened so we just started improvising. I kind of went off on a tangent, so. <laughs> no, it's a good tangent. See, to me, all this shit is interesting. I love hearing how people got into punk, why people, like, yeah. just the process of where you get to where you are, like, 30 years later. Exactly, dude. And, um, you know, I think this will all unravel throughout the conversation, but... I think about this too. That's why I was so excited when I heard you were doing this and you deep down, I was going, I hope Tony asked me to be part of this. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of the hardest working people in punk. You're always positive. You're always happy to be doing what you're doing. You're older than I thought. So this yeah. gives you more credit. You're not <laughs> fucking jaded. Every time I've ever played with you, good show, bad show, whatever, no attitude. Yeah no complaining, just happy to be there. That really does come, and I've been thinking about this, and it's like, what well, I try to talk with, you know, younger punks and stuff about, it's hard because I know nobody wants to be positive, and sometimes I'm like overly positive, but the thing is, if you wait around and you keep doing what you're doing, whatever it is, these mysteries start to unfold. I, I crack up sometimes because I really don't have a musical talent. Like I just 
in in around 40, I feel like I just got my timing. Like I have the worst timing. And so I'm like, there's no reason that I should be doing this. And my friends that were musical geniuses, you know, they're happy, but they're doing something else. And I just feel like how fucking lucky am I to be doing this? And, and it's all I ever wanted to do. And it's all, I, it's kind of all I ever have done. And, um, you know, I, I think you have to figure out ways to unlock this mystery in a positive way because dude there's so much negative but there's also a, a lot of positive you know so i try to um to think about that dude i am probably the only one in my family that's gone to russia who in the fuck would have thought this little five foot nothing old mexican <laughs> kid looking old man would be in Russia. <laughs> that to me is like yeah it's fucking magic it, it it is dude and i don't it's not like i have low expectations but for being slightly realistic i want to play music or let's let's go kind of in my early days that's all i wanted to do i want to play music uh, I'm into history and I kind of wanted to fuck shit up, you know? I wanted to shake things up how I could. And those things unfolded to me. And then part of it will come back and bite you in the ass too. It's like, now I'm kind of just fucking shit up and I'm fucking shit up for myself and I'm fucking shit up with everybody around me. And so a lot of the positive shit that I cared about got lost. And so over, you know, a matter of 10 years of this mystery of why, is, why do I keep hitting a wall? I'm, I kind of made some life changes and the next mystery unfolded. And it was this positive light, you know? I can still fuck shit up, but now I want to, fuck shit up like I want to help people I want to fucking my dad uh worked in the Chicano movement and was doing marches and his whole life was to help Mexican Americans have the opportunity to go to school and my mom she you know she didn't have like a college education she taught herself and she helped her family so I said, you know what? I want to do that because I met, I made a family in this punk world and I want to help my friends and I want to help the Chicano movement. I want to help the Native American movement, but also I want to help everybody that wants to do some fucking positive. And what screams out louder than music, you know? And that's the only thing I think that keeps me from being jaded is like, I want to do more. So what started this whole thing? What was the first punk show you went to? Well, first I got to tell you, my first real concert was Motley Crue. So I was oh, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably. Or what album? Because I guess they just. Probably closed. 90. And I think it was before Dr. Feelgood came out. So it was, it was still, a, it was later Motley Crue, but it was, um, 
theatrical and and also like fucking um you know all the satanic shit or fake satanic but i was like what is this so <laughs> then i went to go see uh my mom's friend took me to go see bad religion and um i was just i, I went to this club called liberty lunch i don't know if you'd heard of it or not uh -uh. but it was a different world and so i've been watching like another state of mind and uh, suburbia and shit yeah i walked in to suburbia and another state of mind you know it was like everything that i'd been looking for was like thump. and the coolest part of it was all my friends i don't know why but my mom's friend's daughter was like I'm taking you to go see Bad Religion tonight. And and I couldn't get a hold of any of my friends, you know, it was like house phones and everybody was like, no, they're not here, nope. And so I went <laughs> by myself and she kind of was like, you know, when you take a dog to the dog park, she just like, let me go. And she was like, please don't get hurt. Your mom will kill me. And I was like, there was the group of skinheads there was the six foot tall guy with Liberty spikes. There was all the gothy people and fucking blew my fucking mind, dude. So I, I saw bad religion and fuck, man. I, I kind of saw like the kings of that style, you know? Yeah. Let's play another song and talk about this because this is super important and it seems like I mean, it's getting a little better under Biden, but it seems like there is like there's not going to be there's not going to be a solution to this. So it's borders by the casualties. It is becoming more relevant right now. It's like what's going on between Palestine and everything and, and um, the Israeli occupation and all of that. And what's happening in Colombia. So the idea is, is about what, what I've been seeing my whole life. This, because my family is from the border of um, Texas and Mexico, like you can walk across, you know, it's like right there. And I've just seen this fucked up shit happen for so long. And Trump was such a, demonic fucking asshole and this was um on a personal level this was my first record with the casualties and i didn't know if i was gonna get shot out of the sky for <laughs> joining you know being the new guy or whatever for whatever reason and it was awesome because this music spoke to me and it had this perfect chant in there for me like you know fuck your president fuck your wall fuck your borders fuck you all and it doesn't get more fucking punk than that <laughs> um i was talking with a friend from colombia today and he was saying i don't i don't fucking like the right or the fucking left because they're all fucking snakes and they all lie to you and um you know i hope that biden 
helps out in a way, but I hope that this song hits people in a personal way. Fuck the government, fuck these politics. We don't fucking need them. Are they gonna be here? Yeah, but if we help each other out, that's a big difference. much longer than I had even thought. <laughs> <laughs> what changes have you seen in punk over the years? The good and the bad. Well, I was kind of getting introduced to punk at, at the end of, before punk broke again, you know, in the, what, that's the term they use. I don't know if that's a nerdy term or not, punk broke. <laughs> but no. it was like, before punk broke again, I was just starting to get out there and see some shows and stuff. 
and um, I was I was witnessing from it from a from a you know a young kid, and I was very um, kind of by myself, so I wasn't really able to click in with with the older crowd, but I was just watching it, and then when it when it broke, it seemed like you know my world really opened up you know i was looking in magazines and i was seeing um you know of course it was like rancid and green day and shit like that because i think what's cool about this what you're doing also is that a lot of the younger people don't know what it's like to not have an internet you know yeah. it, it it was hard when when you op- walked into a store and you saw a mohawk on a magazine, it was like, whew, all that we knew was maximum rock and roll. You know, that's all yeah. that I had. And, and what was there like flip side? And, and there was also like alternative press, you know, and, and you could kind of look around. So all of a sudden there was shit. And speaking of kind of jaded, and uh, I apologize cause I'm super ADD, so I'm all over the place, but, um, <laughs> There's a lot of people that are jaded and they'll be like, fuck this band or fuck that band, sell out this and that. Well, fucking 25 years ago, they were a young band, you know, they were super young. And so anyways, I kind of got into that and and seeing it. So I'm, didn't quite understand what was going on in my younger years. So if I were to fast forward my life a bit more to like, before I started in the crumbums, like my, my late, like 17 years old, I was going out and seeing like the Quincy punks and, and shit like that. And um, it was very, it was very inclusive to me and it felt like a, like a home. Um, it was a ton of drugs, a ton of, of alcohol. Um, and then, you know, and then I, I started seeing like you guys and, um, okay. What year was your first release? I can't remember. 90. The first riff single was late nineties. I moved to Baltimore in about 99, I think. I believe it was 99. It might have been 98. And I moved up there. Sorry, I didn't even know that. Yeah. I I, I didn't really know many people. And, and, and so somewhere along the lines, I this will all come together. But uh, somewhere along the lines, like... I got way into kind of like crustier music and, and style or whatever. And anyways, I was living at this house and a little bit of drug use on the weekends. And then it turned into Monday morning, you know, my roommates are doing lines and I'm doing lines. And then all of a sudden all these squatters from San Francisco were um, bringing drugs on the trains down to my house. And my brother was like, hey man, 
if you want uh, and things aren't going so well for you, I'm moving to Baltimore. And if you want to go, you can come with me. And I got one kind of lucky move that I was like, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with you because a lot of those people didn't, didn't make it from that time. And yeah. so I moved to Baltimore and I saw the um, casualties who I'd seen play and kind of slightly made friends with in the unseen. And I saw them play in a basement. And that's when I, that's when I kind of started becoming part of the scene. You know what I mean? I, I'll say, I don't feel like I was really part of the scene yet. I was just bopping around. And also I think it was at reptilian records. I saw under underground kicks, the, uh, a poster or something for it. And that, that would have been 98 or 99, right? Yeah, maybe. Oh, I, I feel for bad memory with that stuff. Well, I think so. And I remember, is that you on the cover? Yeah. With the needle. And, yeah. and you know what's wild though is that I related to it. And, and, and that made sense to me. So around this point, that's when I met Paul. And Daryl, oh, yeah. yeah, that's how we met. Um, we I met them at that basement show, and Paul came up to me with that very, um, you know, he has a very um, outgoing, adventurous voice, very full of energy. He comes up and he's like, "How did you get here?" <laughs> he's like, "Where are you from?" Because everybody was studded and spiked out. And where I was from, it was like not as spiky. And we also, yeah. we didn't have any shit like that. We didn't have anything. Um, so anyways, I like stuck out like a sore thumb. I was probably wearing like jeans and like a fucking, just a t-shirt. And, you know, Paul, again, with that voice, who are you? Where did you come from? And I was like, uh, you know, I'm from Texas. And he's like, how are you going to get home? It's like, <laughs> I'm going to walk home. He's like, are you fucking crazy? I, I didn't understand. He's like, you're going to get murdered. You will die on your way home. So anyways, he gave me a ride back to their house they lived on this street called light street and call them the light street punks uh -huh. so i met those dudes and, and that's when i feel i really started to become part of the punk scene and um what i saw at you know the late 90s um in er up to early 2000s was there was a lot of unity but what fucking sucked was that all of these bands like you guys the casualties the unseen and you know there was oz rotten and there was civil disobedience there was all these different styles that were really putting in the fucking work and really hitting a a, a vein of like fucking hell this is fucking rad and i want to be part of it as most scenes, 
all of a sudden, you know, I don't, I don't even know where street punk came, you know, from, but for a little while it was a term and it was kind of like, Oh, that's cool. That makes sense. And then all of a sudden there were all these people that were younger than me and they had full sleeves, perfect tattoos, all of the belts. And they were like at the black cat, they were saying, Hey, we're street punk. And in my brain, even then I kind of went like, you don't get to call yourself street punk. You know what I mean? You don't get to start a band and say street punk. I'm street punk. And all of a sudden it was like these people that came out of nowhere were trying to run the scene. And this is, you know, like at Black Cat, we play here. They had all this perfect fucking equipment. And it was like me and Trey from Crumbums would be like, if you have that nice of equipment, the fuck out of here. Fuck you, you know? <laughs> and, and so I got real lucky that I was, you know, just a couple of years younger than you guys, but I got to watch this fucking hard work that y'all were doing. And that, as you would say in a movie, that, my friend, is what <laughs> set me in motion of the kind of work we were going to do. There were no expectations. Like you guys didn't expect to come to my house or wherever and um, it'd be this nice, perfect house. We slept on the floor. We ate a big pot of spaghetti together. You guys were driving and driving for any fucking show that you could get over. You know, it wasn't like it was for the Stearns, like another state of mind, but it was still difficult you know we're making fucking phone calls to each other and yeah. we had to help each other out unlike the Stearns we couldn't get into Canada so that saved us a lot of headache <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but you know that that is what I saw changing because I was right before computers and shit and yeah. it was like or before they were accessible to people like us, you know? Yeah. And so for me, the the unity and even the, there were, you know, bands that I didn't quite get along with and bands that you probably didn't quite get along with, but we knew that we were working for something together and somehow we were going to have to um, stand each other. Now that didn't mean racist, fuckheads it just meant you know some right, of us yeah. don't get along yeah and and that is what meant something to me and like anything else after it gets washed up and played out it was like people were stealing shit from my house and, and that didn't need to now there were i'm sure i stole my number of things and <laughs> shit like that but it was like just fucking people were using the hard work that bands like the riffs uh the lower class brats global threat casualties um us rotten all of these different bands that were going out and, and busting ass all of a sudden everybody was surfing off of it and and i feel that's what destroyed a lot of that is that they fucked it all up, but they weren't willing to rebuild. 
And I felt like that's what a lot of bands like you guys were doing, were rebuilding our place. Sometimes believing in punk makes you feel like you're on a sinking ship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it felt like it around those times, all of us kind of started falling apart, you know, and it, it did. It, that's a perfect example. It felt like we were in a sinking ship with everybody had one bucket to throw the water <laughs> out, you know, and we're like, fucking hell, how do I how do we keep this up? I was looking at all your stuff. That exploited poster. Yeah, a skateboard. skateboard. Is that a crucifix skateboard? What skateboard is that? Which one? The third one. Oh, a Slayer, uh, Final Conflict. I saw the Final Conflict, but the, it looks like the crucifix bomb, but I, it, no. I didn't know Slayer got political. <laughs> oh no, that's a skull. Yeah, just a skull. Oh, now that now that I fixed my glasses, I can see it's a skull. <laughs> I thought it was the crucifix. I thought it was the explosion. Nope. And and then if you really rock and roll, blacklight poster, because I am in my forties. <laughs> so being in your forties, what keeps you involved in punk? Man, uh, uh, I was talking about the sinking ship and trying to like, empty yeah. And bucket. Well, you know, escaping what I thought would be death gave me a lot of gratitude, you know, like, um, you could maybe say I'm a fucking dingling. I love what I'm, what I'm doing. I'm addicted to being out on the road. I'm addicted to, uh, moving constantly moving around. Um, I love to see people, and, and these different, how, like, you know, way I was raised around me, you know, we were all so different. Everybody was so different, but we're not. We're so similar. And, you know, like I've been lucky enough to play uh, Colombia, to play all yeah. over, you know, South America and, and, and talk with people and, and hear like I have made friends that I consider family explain to me what's going on in the world and, and what's going on where they're at. You know, I was just in Brazil and seeing the pandemic hit these people and, and, you know, they have these areas called the favelas that, you know, people live just on yeah. top of each other. And, that makes me say that I can't pretend it's not happening. When you see all the differences, yeah, it's easy to say, I'm, I, that's, not, that's not my world. I don't live there. But that's what, what keeps me, I think, not so jaded. It keeps me in the punk scene is like, I want to be there. I want to see what's going on. I want to be part of it, you know? I think it keeps me grounded. Yeah, for sure. The answer might be nothing, but what hopes what hopes do you have for punk in the future? Man, I have I have high I like that you said nothing because there there's different groups of us that have different ideas and they're all fucking valid, you know? Some yeah. people might fucking nothing. I hope it fucking dies. I I hope <laughs> <laughs> you know. Why won't it though? It's almost yeah. 15 years, man. 
Yeah, it won't because for the same fucking hope that I have that I hope, I desperately hope that there's kids with a fucking uh, trash can kick drum, you know? And, uh, and I'll tell you something that's real interesting and this will fucking date, date us heavily. <laughs> But there's a there's some kids called user unauthorized, and it turns out that they happen to live up the street. So I live, Meggers and I live together. The drummer of Casualties. Yeah. And oh, he moved to Austin. Yeah, he's in the back room. He got his second <laughs> shot, so he's like, tell Tony I. Yeah, I I did it a few weeks ago too, and but now I I'm free. Somebody said. Uh, I get it. I get everything. I understand shit. Uh, but side sidetrack note, somebody was like, man, you don't know what that shit is. And I'm like, dude, I don't know half the things that I sniffed, half the things I shoved <laughs> up my ass. I don't know. It can't be worse, it can't be worse than that. Like, yeah. You know, it's like, uh, whatever, dude. And uh, so... Anyways, back to the why won't punk die or what do I hope for it? There's yeah. these kids. And so, fuck, I'm old. I'm friends with the dad, <laughs> you know? He, and um, I didn't know them, but he, he called or was writing me like, hey, you think you can help the kids out? And I was like, yeah, let, let's talk. And he's expressing to me each one of the, the band members and who they are and how they are. And um, I said, okay, well, uh, who's this person in the band? He goes, well, doesn't really consider himself anything, gender, whatever. And if you look way back at fucking Iggy Pop and, and all of these bands back then, the Ramones and, and Dee Dee, fucking saying they're going to do whatever they want. And they were actually very revolutionary of this gender fucking thing. Well, these kids now, some of them are exactly what we were fighting for, you know, be whoever the fuck you want to be, do whatever you want to fucking do. Don't let anybody fucking tell you it's wrong. You know, I have a cousin, Lisa, She's gay. She was gay my whole life. She was Lisa, but society said no. But the world that accepted me, it, like the punk rock world was like, fucking do whatever you want. <laughs> you have these fucking morons that are fucking so, I, I don't know, they, they want the good old days. And we say to ourselves, what were the good old days? Oh, back when you used to be able to beat your wife, that good old day? Or back when, you know, people just used to, like people used to literally call me half-breed. And, you know, yeah. I didn't know what that meant. Or back when you used to be able to just say whatever the fuck you wanted and treat people like shit. Well, fuck that, you know? The good old days are dead, man. And, and they never were good. So... I, that's what I think keeps keeps punk. They weren't good for a lot of people. Exactly. But back to like what we first started our conversation with, we have good and we have bad all the time. And, and like that fucking 
you know, the justice, the lady with the blindfold, it's always <laughs> yeah. up and down. And it's where we choose to fight. Some people, like you said, what do you hope for? Nothing. Some people don't give a fuck. They're blind like this. And other people we have, you know, and again, like that idea of you have two wolves inside of you and which one do you feed? And that's kind of how I think. Do I, do I choose to not give a fuck or do I choose to give a fuck? And I think that there's a lot of kids that, um, that, that grew up with this Trump bullshit and, you know, and all of it, fucking uh, Bush, Clinton, Obama. I mean, was there a lot of good shit that happened during Obama? Sure, I guess. Was there a lot of fucking horrible shit? Yeah, there was. And what I think can help this young movement is if they go back and they remember this. Help each other out. Don't get all involved in this political bullshit. You know, as, as a kid, it's like deep down, you know what's right and you know what's wrong. Like, you know, when it comes to how you treat people. And I think if you treat people better, good things will happen. But there's definitely a punk movement still here. And, and it also brings up the idea of like this um, cancel culture. What, Man, will, you, will you explain to me what you think that is? Because holding people accountable for saying racist shit doesn't yeah. seem like a bad thing to me. So explain to me what you think it is. Okay, so I think accountability is number one. And, and it's number one in, in this kind of world that I live in now in these changes that I've decided to make in my life, you have to be accountable. And also you have to hold people accountable. Now, there's also the, the question of, sometimes if you piss the wrong person off, you can be canceled. You can be 86th out of everything. So there is uh, like that fucking Spider-Man shit. Great, with, with great power comes great responsibility. So oh, this yeah. great fucking power is this computer. This, all of a sudden, do you want, um, do you want to order a record from Japan? Click, yep, it's here in a week. Do you want this? Yes. So all of a sudden now though, you can also, say whatever the fuck you want about somebody and have a million people believe it. So with what we believe in, yeah, if you say some fucked up shit and you do fucked up shit, fucking you're canceled. You're, you're going to be held accountable. Now, what if, what if we're not hearing the entire story? You know, that's, that's the scary part. What if, what if the truth is, is not really out there? So I don't know, man. I, I believe, I believe in, in a lot of, of, of what's going on, but I also believe that accountability is also with the person making the judgment. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> 
so what 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 i think the way i can say it better is that when when you're judging somebody you need to make sure that 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 accusation is coming from a place of that you really mean it if you want to cancel somebody you better really understand what that means because well, tell me what cancel means so what what i have seen is okay i'm gonna give you an example without a names i've seen this kind of in the punk scene these and here's some other words i'm i'm new on a lot of these words so um fucking hell what is it called there there's edge edge lord so the word the term edge lord have you heard of this one no okay <laughs> no, so edge lord from what i'm thing? from what i gather it's somebody that says fucked up shit to say fucked up shit for example the meat men were edge lords and so yeah but they were obviously they were exactly obviously the joke exactly but some people will say now fuck you you said it it might what what's funny about that is that a joke i don't find it funny cancel so there's there's people we're we're at a we're at a place in society that I, i'm in and i think it's always been like this but now we can witness it as it's unfolding online. So there's groups of people that will say, no, you can't say that kind of shit and they'll cancel you. So what, what I have seen is there's been people that, that, that are on the edge and they're saying shit just to say it, racy shit, just to say it. And then groups of people will say, I'm going to cancel you now. And that means everywhere you go, you're unwelcome. You're unwelcomed at the bar. You're unwelcomed at the club. You're unwelcomed on Facebook. And the problem with that is saying racist shit. What's the, what's the problem with that? I, I'm, I, now I don't, I don't disagree with, with that, but I, I think Man, I, I think the problem is with with uh, with maybe being canceled is do you ever have a chance to to learn from that? And the, the reason why I find it why I find it scary, and I think your I think your point is extremely commendable and the right way. Yeah, you want to talk shit? Like, you know, talk shit, get hit. I, I agree with that and I understand that. But what what I what I do uh, what I do worry about is people that are young never getting the opportunity to see the error of their faults and also the opportunity to say, fucking hell, I learned. Like there's let's say there there's there's a couple of songs where, you know, even even my language is, is is very heavy because I want to make a point. I want to say, think about it. I'm not using my language. I'm using their language. But that's unacceptable. 
now. And, and, and it's, it's difficult. There's a song where I say, um, I seen a crack whore give birth to a baby on the dirty, broken city street. And it made me so sick that I didn't give a shit. So I just walked away. And, and what I was saying at that time was everything was so gross and I was part of it, you know? And I literally walked out of this bar and I saw this woman now, who I am now, I wish I could go back and I could help this woman. But I remember her literally like going into labor and she looked like, you know, when um, his name was David from um, American Werewolf in London, when he's on his back, yeah. he's all, ah! she looked like that, dude. And, and everything was coming out of her. And, and I was fucked, fucked up. And I'd probably been smoking crack. And I just looked at her. And, and in a way, I saw myself and I saw what I was living in. And I, and I, I hopped over her and I kept walking. But now I don't know that, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write in that way. And so this is, this is an example of, 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 of things where people will go, you know, you called her a crack whore that shoot. Why don't you have any sensitivity towards her? And that's, that's hard. That's where, you know, now I look at things and I say, fuck dude, I would, I would make, I would do that differently now. So my fear with the cancel culture is that people will feel canceled and they'll stay. Maybe, maybe somebody young that said something wrong. They don't know they're, they're, right. they're, from, let's say they're from okay. East Texas. And I know people from East Texas that fucking were dropping the in bomb like left and right and and i wanted no part to do with them and the crumb bums got into many fights with with these nazi pieces of shit because they thought our song cease fire it would say it real fast they thought we were saying seek heil and so yeah we clashed and we fought we fought each other but over time I've seen a couple of these people that have come up to me and other people and, and, and been like, man, I, I don't know if I can ever apologize enough. I don't know where I was coming from. I was taught this racism. I was taught this shit. So how do we, how do we learn from that? That's, that's my thing. What is this? Oh, that, makes, that makes much more sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, how do yeah. we learn? So, yeah, I think that's kind of what my point is, like. How to give people a chance to come back from mistakes. There's a difference between, between being ignorant and being a hateful person, you know? And, and that's, yeah. I think that's yeah, what kind of scares me about the, the cancel culture. And, and I, don't, I don't disagree with you. And I don't disagree with... You know what, motherfucker? You talk to shit, you're going to be held accountable and you're going to fucking get knocked the fuck out. Or, yeah, you're going to get fucking canceled. But it's 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 heavy. I, I feel kind of sad for kids right now because you don't have an opportunity sometimes to make a mistake 
And I'm not talking about racism or this or that. I'm talking about in general, because you say the wrong thing or you do the wrong thing, you're on blast from everybody. And, and you know, I think we saw shit like this with like, you know, those movies, Mean Girls or something, where the popular kids, they find the most sensitive part of maybe the nerdy kid that they don't like and they just blast them. And, and that's, that's, that's what I fear is gonna happen with some of the kids now. So what made you get sober? So. Not trying to like. Yeah, no, no, no. Them. No, I, I like it. And, and you know, I just like to really go into like, this is like um, a life change. And for me, it was like, you know, kind of like we were saying, it's like, certain words and names i found them to be real difficult at first um and but to kind of hit that point was i was i was watching everything fall apart in my life i was watching everything die and i was part of some of that you know i was part of other people maybe dying and I was becoming very desensitized to all of that, where it was, you know, kind of the nihilistic bad part of, of, of punk was really taking over my life. Like, for instance, we only talk about like Joy Division, for example, of like, oh, what a dark soul, what a this or that. Well, this motherfucker killed himself. And, 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 and I, I was at a point where, you know, I started ripping those pieces apart like an onion. That's sad, dude. This guy's never going to be back. He's dead. He's gone forever. Um, and, and that kind of darkness was hitting me of like, when you're dead, you don't fucking come back, you know? And, and I think we've all had a lot of friends take their lives. And I think if you want to do that, that's your... That's your thing and it's valid, I guess. But I think that most people don't mean to kill themselves. I think you're drunk, I think you're high. And this is even my, my thing and I've never said this out loud, but there was one time it just seemed like I was done. I was, I had had enough and I wanted to kill myself. And at this moment yeah. when I was, almost seeing black from this my a dog leash around my neck my roommate came in and kicked the shit out of me in the stomach and oh and i went to my room and locked him out because he was gonna beat me up big motherfucker and um in my brain i think i thought i'm done i've had enough the world will will understand when I'm gone and maybe they'll miss me or something, but that's not really what happens. You die and people cry for a couple of days and the world moves on. So I was becoming this troll in Austin too. I was like drunk and high, anything that I could put inside of me for, for a few years and, and, I'd lost almost every relationship 
But at that time, it was all their fault. They were against me. They did me wrong. And back to the word accountability, I wasn't holding myself accountable for showing up fucking blacked out drunk to recording sessions. So everything was the crumb bums. They were all against me and they didn't understand. Blah, 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 blah. Um, I was a horrible partner in relationships. Horrible. But yeah. they didn't get me. Um, and, and I was shitting blood. I was puking blood. I had become that thing, dude. I was waking up in puddles of piss all the time. And, uh, you know, this is not the nicest things to remember, but it was like when you pass out in a bush downtown and wake up at like six in the morning covered in piss and you go back to sleep and when you wake up you're happy that it dried because you're the sun dried you and you stumble to the bar that's when yeah you know you start going and and, and the cool thing about this is that there's people that go oh yeah you know so all of your listeners that think that that's nasty understand that there's 50% of people that go, Oh yeah. What's wrong with that? You know, it's like a Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. And, and I just, I, I took a break for a month. Um, I met a friend that, that brought that up. Like, Hey, I, I, I figured I'd take a month off. And then they asked, maybe take a little bit longer. And that month has gone into six plus years, dude. And, and thank you. And, and I think, I think death, sadness and, and, and somehow whatever it is that kept me alive, like, um, you know how they, they talk about rock bottom? Well, a lot of people like me and you, what, what is rock bottom? I lived at rock bottom, you know? I, and I joked around that, that I have an apartment in the next, a spare room, come to rock bottom. So <laughs> yeah. somehow- You can I, always I, go lower, man. Yeah, and I heard something that was, I thought was really cool. Rock bottom is when you decide to stop digging. And that's really hit me because I even thought that like, you know, when you're fucking, this, this isn't like a, like I'm, I'm the big drunk or big drug addict. We all have different amounts we can take, but yeah. when you wake up and you're buzzing and vibrating and you can hardly walk and you just fill up an entire glass of vodka and you drink it and you take whatever pill is there, that's not fun anymore. That's like playing Russian roulette with every day because I was tired of it. And, and, and taking that break gave me strength enough to accept the things that I did wrong and to become accountable for them. And at first you want to say, I'm sorry, everyone forgive me. But you take a year in and you realize you can't ask for forgiveness. You have to walk the walk. Yeah. And if people decide to let you back into their life, 
then fuck yeah, that's great. But there's also a lot of lives that I choose not to walk back into. I don't want to be there anymore. I don't, I didn't like it then and I fucking don't like it now, but now I have the, um, well, yeah, now being sober, you have the choice. You can make that decision. Yeah. We didn't have that choice before. So that, you know, that's my kind of long way about saying it, but I think it's important to really say that's, that's what, what made me want to do this. And and not being in complete fear. And this is the thing, drink, do drugs, do whatever you wanna do in your life because that's your life. But if the reality is though, most people that are in that heavy of addiction are in fear, constant, and you're constantly juggling. Absolutely, yeah. How do I pay this person back? How do I avoid this person? Oh no, how am I going to explain this? And and one thing that I talk about with with younger people I try to help with is imagine they'll tell me a whole string of stories of how they're just trying to keep their life together. Now, imagine if you put that effort into what you wanted to do. <clears throat> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, you could be going on tour. You could be doing a podcast. Fucking shit that was impossible for you and I is now possible. Well, why do you think drugs and alcoholism and self-destruction is such a big part of punk? Is, uh, of punk? Yeah. Um, because we, a lot of us can relate to not having mom or dad there. Um, I read something today, it was kind of interesting, and it said, like, what does untreated trauma look like? Um, low self-esteem, not being able to have feelings when you were a kid, all this stuff. And this is, this is why we relate to Didi Ramon, you know, the fucking guy just looked like he was always out of place and didn't quite know what to say and, 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 but was a genius in this heartfelt character. That's, that's, that's what is involved. Punk gave a voice to the voiceless, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I feel sick. Yeah. I don't want to go home. Yeah. I don't fucking like these people. Yes. Fuck the USA, all this <laughs> shit. And, and, you know, we relate to it, but also we want to change the way that we feel. You feel dark inside. Take a shot. Okay. A couple years later, that shot doesn't work anymore. Have some Coke. Okay. That doesn't work. Have some heroin. But all of these things are kind of, from my point of view, are okay with as long as you watch it. Maybe you do need that experience of a shot of heroin. Maybe you do need that experience of living drunk for a few years, but all of a sudden you gotta be very careful because that fucking uh, needle, drink, whatever, it controls your life. And that's the thing is, and my dad used to tell me this, like you ain't never gonna be bigger than a shot of whiskey and you ain't never going to be bigger than a line of Coke. Like, you know, I'm not going to be stronger one day. Yeah. 
it'll take me down, but that will always be there, you know? And, and yeah. I think that's, it's also, fuck, dude. Like for me, I don't think, this is an outsider. I don't think Justin <laughs> Bieber is cool. I think he's fucking stupid and dorky and nerdy. But again, I think Didi Ramone is fucking cool. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's something rad about that dark underdog. And I think that's what punk is. It's the underdog fighting its way out. So, man, thank you for coming. And we're going to do the last song. Cool. And this was awesome. So say goodbye. Tell us anything you want. All right. What well, know about? And this is Starving Wolves Broken Arrows. This song is it says in the chorus, Broken Arrows will fly again. And this is for me and for the people that 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 I touch and that touch me is that you know as simple as that is broken arrows will fucking fly again you know we're all fucked up we come from fucked up places and this may sound kind of rude but if you don't i don't fucking relate with you you know i don't relate to that bullshit i don't re relate to your little crisp clean life i like talking to people like you I like talking, you know, with fucked up people and relating, but we always have the opportunity to fucking fly. So that's, that's kind of where I am in life. And, um, we'll get out of this fucking pandemic one day and the casualties will be on the motherfucking road. Nobody <laughs> tours like these motherfuckers. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. And, um, you know, Starving Wolves will be out. Um, Crumbums will do a couple of shows here and there. And uh, I look forward to seeing you play again. And I know that that's coming up. <laughs> when? I don't know. So. Um, I don't know either, but we're ready. Yeah, I know. And uh, we all love Alex of the Ravagers. We love that motherfucker, that little motherfucker. So, uh, anyways, uh, I love you, dude. My, and he actually is as hardworking as you. Dude, he and I talk all the time about that. We, like, give each other kicks in the ass. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really so happy to have this conversation because I really have always been a big uh, fan of your everything. And if this word is not easy for people to comprehend then they can go fuck themselves but your stage presence your attitude um i've watched you for years and and even just the way that you controlled the bar um i admire that and i feel very humbled and lucky to be on this uh podcast with you so i appreciate you oh man i'm blushing i can't wait to see you in person someday.